welcome to another episode of the Critical Science Podcast. I'm Dr. Lyle Bergoon. Uh, today, we're going to talk about um, one of the merchants of fear, specifically the Center for Food Safety. They they have a propensity for, in my opinion, making false and misleading statements uh, on the regular. And uh, they actually came up in the news recently uh, because they had a petition at the U.S. EPA that EPA took a while to um, uh process and um well the center for food safety wasn't very happy with epa's response epa basically denied their petition so when when the center for food safety uh um responded through a press release to the fact that epa denied their petition they made a lot of statements that were kind of a little wacky um to put it nicely um some of it's bullshit some of it's just wrong. And, um, you know, I think it's important for people to uh, understand what some of these things are, because this this just isn't right. So one of the things that um, the Center for Food Safety uh, was calling out in their petition was they wanted EPA to test what are called end-use products. So an end-use product is... Uh, basically the product that you would purchase uh, in terms of a pesticide. So if you went out to buy Roundup, you're not just buying the chemical glyphosate, you're actually buying a chemical mixture that has a little bit of glyphosate and a lot of other chemicals that we call inerts. And these inerts are important for, you know, helping the chemical stay on the plant, uh, dissolving the chemical so it can be sprayed or applied easily, you know, and, and part of the argument that the Center for Food Safety was making was, well, EPA, you need to require people to actually test these these end use products. How dare you not require them to test end use products? And how dare you only require companies to test the active ingredient? And um, it's kind of funny because EPA shot back with, um, we do require people to test end use products. What are you talking about? So specifically, um, let's let's read from this press release, which I have right here in my grubby little fingers um, from the Center for Food Safety. Uh, one of the quotes that I'll read you is uh, uh, from um, Bill Fries, the science director at the Center for Food Safety. He, he says, uh, yet EPA has approved over 18,000 pesticide products is essentially safe. One explanation for this gaping discrepancy is the agency's failure to require testing of pesticide formulations and mixtures. Okay, now I'm guessing that Bill Fries just didn't read the EPA's response um, to their petition because the EPA makes very clear, and actually, maybe Bill Fries hasn't read the, um, the actual FIFRA. Uh, law, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding how someone who works in this field doesn't understand that end use uh, testing is end use product testing is required. So if you actually pull up and read EPA's response to the petition, I'll, I'll have all this in the show notes. Uh, uh, on page seven, towards the bottom, EPA says, well, part 158 stipulates conditions where data on end use product must be submitted. And they give some examples. Acute toxicity data are routinely submitted for mammals 
for all formulated end-use products representing exposure resulting from ingestion, inhalation, and dermal contact. All right, let's stop right there. So, um, part 158, and if you want to follow along in the uh, U.S. code, uh, let's see here, I believe part it would be 40 CFR part 158. And then if you go to what's called subpart F, that's the toxicology section, you'll see a handy dandy table. And I just happen to have that as well pulled up here. Uh, towards the middle of the screen, you'll have this handy dandy table. And in this table, it has um, listed whether or not you have to test the end use product. And guess what? There are several tests that require it. Uh, some of these tests include, as EPA said, the acute oral toxicity test in rat, the acute dermal toxicity test, the acute inhalation toxicity test in rat. Uh, let's see, the primary eye irritation test, the primary dermal irritation test, the dermal sensitization test. Uh, let's see, there's also subchronic studies uh, of dermal uh, exposures as well. So you have to test these end use products um, under you know, part 158, it's very clear. Uh, in addition, uh, EPA says, in addition to testing wildlife, part 158 also identifies data needed for aquatic and terrestrial plants. These studies are typically conducted with end-use product as are colony-level exposure and effect studies with honeybees. All right, so clearly there's a lot of places where you have to use end-use products in your testing. But guess what? The EPA has additional authority to require specific tests, including additional end-use product tests. So, on page 8, EPA states, In situations where there are lines of evidence to suggest that additional data may be needed or you know, additional refinements to EPA's assessments may be needed, Part 158 discusses the flexibility EPA has in requiring data for pesticide registrations. Under 40 CFR Part 158.30, EPA may modify the data requirements on a case-by-case -case basis to fully characterize the effects of a pesticide product. So here again, EPA has all this authority, all this authority to require end-use product testing, and they do. They do require it, and they can, they can require additional testing beyond the minimum testing that is required. So I find it interesting because... The next thing that we see in this uh, press release from the Center for Food Safety is, quote, yet in EPA's response denying the petition, the agency refused to require any additional, any such additional testing, instead claiming only that it was the responsibility of the regulated community to report incidents involving pesticides, including with inerts and mixtures, as well as any other information available concerning adverse effects resulting from the use of a pesticide. Um, no. So this is a bit misleading because in the EPA's response, which I just read you parts of, you can see that they're saying, hey, we can require extra testing anytime we want. We can have them test whatever we want as long as we think that it's necessary. Right. That's very different from what the Center for Food Safety is saying. So I find it curious that the Center for Food Safety is just very carefully picking out parts of EPA's response to try to make it appear that EPA didn't actually um, explain themselves very well and that EPA was pushing all the responsibility back on the regulated community, which is not at all what EPA was doing. When EPA was talking about 
the responsibility of the regulated communities to report these different things. EPA was was reiterating the fact that they want the regulated community to know you need to report stuff to us. That's all that was about. That was not uh that was not EPA saying that they wouldn't require any such additional data as the Center for Food Safety states. That that statement that the Center for Food Safety was pulling out was talking about a completely different concept within the petition. So I find it very odd, um, misleading. Um, I mean, this is this is truly misinformation, in my opinion, and it's frankly, it's bullshit. I, I can't say in any any better way. This is, this is just such nonsense, but see, this is how the center for food safety works. I mean, that's, that's what I'm gathering from, you know, studying a lot of things that they've been putting out, looking at their press releases, going all throughout their website. You know, I've got a lot, you know, I've been following them for quite a few years now. And this is, this is how they work. This is how the different parts, you know, the different merchants of fear operate is they will say, hey, we're out here. We're trying to fight for you. We're trying to do great things for, for the public. And what they're doing is they're selling you, they're selling you a lot of mis, misinformation and you know misleading information, in my opinion. And I've got evidence right here of it. And then they ask you for more money, right? Help us fight for you. But what they're doing is, is they're, they're putting this information out there in a way that is misleading, you know, they, they're basically trying to tell you that EPA is the enemy. EPA is not the enemy. Do I agree with everything EPA does? No, heck no. I don't agree with everything anybody does. There's always something that somebody does that I don't think is right. And that's okay. We can have our disagreements. But to say that EPA, you know, or to insinuate, I should say, to insinuate that the EPA is not there to protect you and that the EPA is trying to do things that, you know, are are unscientific or not based in good science or that the EPA is, you know, a bunch of lazy bums and they're not requiring, you know, regulated uh, companies to do tests that are required for EPA to make a decision. That's just, that's just wrong. It's just completely wrong. And, and they shouldn't be doing, they shouldn't be trying to scare people into thinking that the EPA or the FDA or any of these agencies are out there uh, in the pocket of industry. I worked at EPA. I can tell you for a fact, they are not in the pocket of industry. Um, one of my, one of my uh, colleagues, um, professional mentor, actually at EPA, uh, she made a very good point several years ago. She said, you know, when we've got industry pissed off at us and when we got the NGOs pissed off at us, we know we're probably doing it right. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. When, when the NGOs, such as, you know, the merchants of fear, aren't happy with EPA with what EPA is saying and industry isn't happy with what EPA is saying. Generally speaking, that that tends to uh, uh, signal the fact that EPA is probably walking that perfect middle ground right there. Uh, when industry is really happy with it, EPA is saying, and the NGOs are really happy with what EPA is saying, that's probably also, you know, walking that fine middle ground too. But if only one party is really happy with it, then maybe we need to reevaluate just a little bit to see what's going on because it, you know, most of the time I'll, I'll be honest with you. I do work with industry. Sure. I might be biased that. Well, I probably am biased. I haven't seen any episodes in my uh, consulting with industry where industry is trying to pull one over on EPA. 
actually it's quite the contrary. Um, what I see is I see people in industry being very hardworking and trying to make sure they get the right data so that when they go to EPA, they can answer all of EPA's questions the first time, because if you have to go back and do more studies, it ends up costing you more money. And companies don't want to have to pay out more money for more tests. It's much cheaper to do everything right the first time. And so companies are really working hard to make sure that, you know, the data that they have is the right data. That's the data EPA can use. You know, it, it's not like they're trying to, you know, pull an over on EPA. It's not like they're, they're out there bribing EPA for things. I, I just, I, I've not seen any evidence of that. And so to insinuate that, you know, EPA is in the pocket of industry, that's just not true, you know, and, and to selectively take what EPA says when they deny your petition and to, you know, and to cry foul about it when EPA really, I mean, if you read EPA's response, it's long, you will see they took this petition very seriously and they put together an extremely well argued response to this petition. And so for the Center for Food Safety to just distill this down to a couple of misleading statements is really just, I mean, in my opinion, it's unethical. Um, but, you know, that's just me. You can draw your own conclusions from it wherever you want. I'm just saying uh, the Center for Food Safety is definitely one of the merchants of fear. They really are pumping out this fear mongering about pesticides, about GMO foods, all things that are safe, all things that are well-regulated. And for whatever reason, they just can't be bothered with the science, I guess. I don't know. Uh, it's my opinion. Anyway, so there you go. What should, If you learn nothing else today, what should you have learned? I think, I think the big thing to, to take away from this is, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we have these merchants of fear out there who are trying to uh, make federal employees look bad who are trying to uh, make it appear that our government isn't here to help us when they really are here to help and protect us. And the idea that you can go around saying things that are just completely false and no one will call you out on it is just, just absolutely ridiculous. Bottom line, the center for food safety is definitely peddling misinformation in this particular instance. I'm not going to talk about the other ones. I'm, I'm sure I could dig up lots of others, but here, this is definitely misinformation. This is extremely misleading. And frankly, to say that the agency does not require testing on end use products. That's just bullshit. I'm sorry. That's just, that's just crazy talk. Anyway, there you go. That and the, what? A dollar 50 will buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks, right? All right. So thank you for listening to the uh, Critical Science Podcast. Uh, man, I'll get off my soapbox now. Um, you know, thanks for listening. Uh, like and uh, share all that stuff. And uh, I'll be back at you with another episode soon. Have a great day. Bye.